it is a Martin Luther King uh, weekend right now. And uh, when I was a kid, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, there were two types of days when I was in elementary school that were my favorite kind of days. What's the number one day when you are a kid? Anybody know? Snow day, exactly. Everybody loves a snow day, okay? This week, they thought they were giving us a snow day. We did not get a snow day. It was not as big as what we had wanted. The bummer with, you know, how many of you have kids doing distance learning right now, right? Our kids missing out, but the worst part is they're missing out on snow days, right? It's snow day, and they have to do their homework. It's just no fun at all, okay? But there was another kind of day that I loved when I was a kid, and those were vacation days, right? When you come home on Friday, and mom says, what? It's a three-day weekend, kids, right? I love three-day weekends. It's great. And I grew up in Chicago area, and we started school earlier. So I had Labor Day off. I had Columbus Day off. I had Thanksgiving off, right? Then we have Christmas break. Sorry, we had winter break for the PC crowd out there, right? Winter break. I was in a Jewish area, which was awesome because we got all the Jewish holidays off too. I didn't even know what they were about, but I got a day off school. It was great. But then you get to January, and this weekend occurs, right? Martin Luther King weekend. And I get Monday off, and it was great. And we'd usually color a little something of Martin Luther King Jr., you know, or they tell us a little story, they show us a little video. But to be honest, I didn't know much about him. I just knew I got a day off of school. But as I've gotten older, I've had the opportunity to learn some things about him. And there's certain areas of his life that have inspired me, specifically. Part of that is because I've watched, I watched the things that he did, and he was willing to lean into some things that were uncomfortable that others didn't want to. But what inspired me is that he was willing to do it in a way that others weren't. He was willing to, to, to fight things in a way that others weren't willing to fight, in a way that looked a little bit more like Jesus. Now, today is a day, and we, we take this opportunity every year to, to lean in on Martin Luther King weekend and say, hey, we're going to lean into the, some of the things that he valued, some of the things that he spoke into. Now, you might ask the question, why would I want to do that this year? <laughs> why would I want to? Because this year, when it comes to topics of justice and racial inequality anyway, how many know it's been a little challenging this year, right? Hadn't been easy. This isn't about the thing that just like everybody's just all on the same page all the time, right? So as your pastor, it's really easy for me to say, you know what? I don't want to go there this year. I know I said this is important, but I don't really want to go there this year. You know, this past year, I'll just be honest. Amber and I, at times, we have been accused of being activists this past year. Other times this past year, we've been accused of being too passive, right? Just depends on who you ask. It's been one of those years. So it's very easy for me to say, you know what, I don't want to lean in here, but, but we have to, okay? We have to lean into the things that matter. Why? Because we are absolutely going to defend kingdom principles wherever they take place, okay? Wherever they land. We are going to defend kingdom principles. The values of the kingdom of God must be values to us. And we understand this, that the kingdom of God is not represented by one culture. It is every tribe, every tongue, every nation around the throne of God. That's what heaven is supposed to look like, right? And so this is something that we need to lean into. Now, I will say this. Just you need to be aware. I've had to tell some people this past year. Guess what me and Amber don't feel called to be? We do not feel called to be public activists, okay? So if that's what you're looking for out of your pastor, sorry, that's not us. What we feel called to do is to pastor this congregation and to lead you and to shepherd you, to lay our lives down for the flock and shepherd you toward Christ in every area, wherever that lands. 
That's the burden that we have. That's the call we have. That is the passion of our lives. It's to lead us to Jesus. And we're going to challenge you, and I'm going to challenge myself anywhere where my life doesn't line up with his kingdom. Okay? This morning, with that context, we're going to look at one very simple question. In the midst of a year that has been challenging when it comes to racial issues, it's very easy for us to look at ourselves and say, all right, now what? What do I do? And this morning, we're going to do the same thing we do every week. We're going to open the word of God and we're say, okay, how are we supposed to live according to God's plan? What's his desire for us? And then let's try and just do that, okay? I don't have any solutions to the world's problems, but I can point us to Christ. And I can point us to his plans for this world. And so that's my desire for us this morning. If you've got your Bible, turn with me to Micah chapter 6. Micah chapter 6, if you're not sure what that is, don't worry about it. Turn to your table of contents. It's somewhere a little right of center, okay? Sorry, that wasn't a political comment, all right? <laughs> Whew. All right. All right, Micah chapter 6. Hey, as you're turning there, just a reminder, we're in our Bible reading plan. Sorry, I make myself laugh sometimes. It's okay. If you don't laugh, it's fine. Um, so... We're, in a, we're doing a reading plan this year. We're reading through the entire Bible this year together. We launched it last week. If you missed out, it's not too late to jump in. Go to our website. At the top of our website, it says Bible reading. Click on that link. It has all the information about it. We actually have a group in version. We've got almost 90 people that have jumped into that reading group, which is great. I'm super proud of you guys for doing that. Jump in. Let's do this thing together. It's not going to be easy. But we're going to work on it together, right? Would you stand with me across the room? Is our tradition around here nothing sacred about standing? It's just what we do to say, God, we care about what you say, not what I got to say, all right? Beginning in verse number 6 of chapter 6, it says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down, bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that in a world that is just all over the place, God, we can stand firmly on your word. And so, God, I pray that your word would be the thing that resonates in our hearts and our minds today. We open our ears. We open our hearts to you. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. You can be seated. So if you haven't been around here before, there's one thing that I always ask. When we come to Scripture, we have to ask a critical question. What is it? What is the context? What is the context? Because we do a really good job of pulling out little verses that we like and making them say whatever we want them to. We have to understand what is the context of the scripture we're reading. Otherwise, we can come up with some screwy ideas for what God thinks. Okay? So before we dig into this passage, I want to give us a little context to this book. Okay? And so who is Micah? This book that we just read, Micah. Micah is a prophet. Micah is a prophet to God's people. Now, I'm going to pause and pastor you just for about one minute here. Listen to me. Okay, because this past year has been one of those years where a lot of Christians have wanted to find prophets who had stuff to say. Okay, this has been one of those years. You need to understand prophecy in Scripture. Prophecy in Scripture is primarily for reminding and pointing people back to what God has said, not to fortune tell the future. Okay, that's what, that's primary. 
Are there instances of that? Absolutely. But primarily, prophecy is to point you back to what God has already said. And this has been one of those years that's been screwy and weird. And we haven't known where to look. And so Christians have wanted to find, oh, I heard a prophecy. Oh, somebody gave this word, this prediction of the future and all those kind of things. And here's what I say. Be cautious. Be very cautious. Okay? In the Old Testament, if a prophet got it wrong, do you know what they did to him? Stoned him. There'd be a lot less people trying to prophesy if that was the consequences of getting it wrong. Okay? So I'm not, I'm not saying God does not tell us and speak words of wisdom for the future. I am not saying that. All I want to do is pastor you and say, be careful. Be careful. And if somebody speaks a word, you know what you say? You don't do? I'm just selling everything and following that. No, you say, okay, I hear that. We'll see. My con- it's real. Why do we want prophecy for the future? Why do we want fortune telling? Because then we don't have to trust God anymore. We don't have to listen to him anymore. Oh, here's what you have to do. You say, you know what? I hear that word. Okay, cool. Great. But my confidence isn't in your prophecy. My confidence is in my God. Okay? And so that's the position. So I want to just challenge you as Christians. Let's not get, hey, let's, I am open to the spirit of God moving absolutely. But what is prophecy primarily? It is a point us back to our God. All right? And so the book of Micah, this is Micah who is a prophet to God's people. Right? And he's speaking a word to say, hey, remember some stuff. Don't forget what God has told you to do. And so we get to this little bit of a passage. And uh, you're going to see it. There's like a conversation that takes place. If you want to go back and read all of chapter 6, it would be a good thing for you to do today. But you've got kind of Micah speaking, then Micah speaking on behalf of God in a few places, and then Micah interpreting what he thinks the audience who he's speaking to is going to respond to him with, okay? And so that's what we read in here. So we get here to verse number 2. It says, hear you mountains, the Lord's accusation. So we know this ain't going to be good here for a second, okay? So we get to verse number 3, and this is the word of God speaking. This is God speaking here. He says this, my people, he's not speaking to the outsiders. He's not speaking to those heathens out there. He's speaking to us church folk. He's speaking to the inside crowd, the people who should know better. That's who he's speaking to. He says, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. And what he does is he begins to talk about all the things he has done to show his faithfulness to his people. He's like, listen, I took you out of Egypt. I've provided for you. I've cared for you. I've done all of this stuff. Remember, we studied through the book of Malachi a year ago. And we called the the series Faithful. And in that series, we heard over and over and over, God kept saying, I've been faithful to you, but you ain't been faithful to me. Some of you know what that's like. You've been in a relationship like that. You're bringing all the faithfulness to the relationship. You're doing all the stuff, and they ain't doing nothing, right? They're lazy. They don't act like they care about you. They're not doing anything that you ask, right? And this is what God is saying. He's saying, listen, you're my people, and, and I've done so much for you, and you're not paying attention. It's like you don't care about me. God comes at them. And then we get to verse number six, and he begins, this is where we just read together. And he brings up, Micah begins to speak on behalf of the people, and he's like, okay, I know what you're going to say. You're going to probably say something like this. And so he responds by saying, hey, you should, should we bring greater sacrifices to you, right? He starts by saying, hey, let's bring burnt offerings. In Scripture, that was something they were supposed to do in the Old Testament, to bring these offerings before God. To say, God, we surrender to you, we love you, we care for you. He said, should we do that? And then he ups it another level. He's like, should we bring 
a thousand, right? Like a thousand or 10,000, you know, offerings of olive oil. Should we bring these massive offerings? Is that what you want, God? Would that make you happy? Would that prove our faithfulness to you? And then you read it at the end. He said, should I give you my firstborn? I mean, the best? Is that what you want, God? You see, sometimes we can do the same thing with God. We can, we can look to him and we say, okay, God, I'm going to make things right. right? I'm going to show up to church this week, right? I'm going to go to a couple churches this week. You know, I'm going to listen to worship music this week. Is that what you want, God? Right? I put extra money in the offering plate this week. Is that what you want, God? That's what you want? And we've read over and over and over in Scripture that those are good, but that is not the heart of what God's desire is. There's a passage of scripture in Amos. It's one of my favorite. I used, to, I used to tell this to my worship teams. I used to be a worship leader. And I'd bring this one to the worship teams all the time. You find this in Amos. You want to pull that scripture up for me? God speaking. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. It goes on in that passage and said, the sound of your cymbals is like, like rattling in my ears. I can't stand it. God's saying, Listen. If you don't get the, the real stuff right, I don't really want your little sacrifices. I don't want your songs. Can you imagine if he walked in here and our worship was a stench to him? It says this in Malachi. God speaking, oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. Could you imagine if God came here and said, lock the doors and quit coming in here? Because all y'all are singing these songs, and it doesn't matter. Could you imagine if that's the word he spoke? There's an interaction that some of you remember when Saul uh, was about to go into battle. And there was supposed to be a sacrifice. He was supposed to make a sacrifice, right, before he goes into this battle, right? But who was supposed to make the sacrifice? Samuel, the prophet. He was the one who was supposed to do it. And so he's waiting on Samuel, and Samuel's supposed to come. He's like, he's not coming, he's not coming, we got to go to battle, i got to do this thing, whatever. Finally, he's like, forget it, I'm going to take care of it, and I'll do the sacrifice myself. And for most of us, we'd say, well, yeah, if Samuel didn't show up on time, just, just do the sacrifice. It's a good thing. He was doing a good thing. He didn't want to go into battle until he had done the sacrifice. And just as he finished, what happens? Samuel comes walking over the hill, and Samuel says, what have you done? You thought you were doing the good thing. You thought you were, right? You're making the sacrifice, doing what God said, right? His response is this. No, obedience is better than sacrifice. Like listening to what I have to say and then doing that is more important than all the other things. All right? And so we come this morning to God's word, and it's very easy for us as religious people to say, hey, we're good. We're good church people. We love Jesus. We came and worshiped today. We did all those things. But are we doing what he's asked us to do? Are we leaning into where he has called us to? If we're not, it's a rattling sound in his ears. This isn't something he wants to listen to. He cares about are we willing to surrender to him, all right? So this is where we're at. So we get to the passage of scripture then that we read the end of verse 8 of Micah says this. What is the call? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with our God. This is the call. It's a good word. I'm going to get there. Right? See, God's saying, listen, I'm less interested in the show and I'm more interested in your spiritual life. That's what I'm interested in. Where are you at? Right? 
And uh, my guess is you've probably heard this specific passage referenced when it comes to issues of justice. It tends to be a, a passage that gets spoken of. But I think there's something in this that we totally miss as followers of Christ, all right? So if you're taking notes, uh, I'm going to give you uh, one guess to guess what the first point is. Point number one, act justly. I bet you know what two and three are. Okay, act justly. Some translations say do justice. Not just act justly, but to actually do justice. How many of you remember the people's court? Remember the people, like the old, not like the new stuff, like the old school. You remember, what was that guy's name, the old guy? Judge, Judge Wapner, yeah, Judge Wapner, right? And, and people would bring cases before him, and what was his call? To make a judge, uh, to say, okay, what is just here? What is the right thing here, right? And as followers of Christ, our call is to act justly, to do justice, Okay, I want to say this. Uh, this verse gets leveraged by social justice movements on a regular basis. Okay, here's what I want to say to us that our call isn't toward social justice, our call is toward biblical justice. Okay, and there are places where those two lines converge a hundred percent, but there are places where they don't converge. And in those places, our call isn't to follow the winds of culture, but to follow the truth of God's word, okay? That's the call. That is the burden we must have. If it lines up with God, then we say, that's where we land, okay? What is God calling us to? Too often, us as Christians, the problem is we don't know what God has to say. So we follow every wind that goes on around. Well, this sounds good to me. It sounds just to me. It sounds right to me. But we're not basing that on anything except our own opinion. We can't do that. This is why I don't get up and preach my opinion. I preach God's word because his word can transform your life. Mine doesn't do anything. Okay? So we have to understand what is he really talking about when we say act Justly. Remember I said context matters. So if you read a few verses later, what you're going to see here is they, they start talking about the fact that they've got false weights, false scales. Uh, they're, they're, the way that they're dealing with people is unjust. They're looking to defraud other people. The rich people are oppressing those who have less. That's what's going on here. And that's the injustice that he's speaking toward. You might say to us, well, I, you know, we don't use a literal scale anymore. We don't use literal weights to, to, to arbiter these little, you know, deals and stuff like that. But the question we have to ask is where are the dishonest weights and where are the dishonest scales in our culture and in our world? Are there places where, where justice is not being served? Are there places where those who are vulnerable are being defrauded in some way? And if that is the case then we as followers of Christ can't simply be quiet about it, can't simply say, well, I'm not involved, so it's not my problem. The call for us is that we actually do justice. We lean in. To the extent that we have influence, we should be using that influence for the sake of another. That's what it looks like to follow Christ, is to lower ourselves. Remember, Christ said, what? We humble ourselves, we lower ourselves, we love others as Christ has loved us and was willing to lay himself down on our behalf. That's what it looks like to do justice, okay? 
And I know it's, this is one of those topics inside of the church that if I was just to like throw it out there, my guess is I got people on both ends of this spectrum right now that are like, well, I'm not sure what to do with that, Greg. Because I don't know if I agree with everything that takes place. This is why I said we are not called to social justice. We are called to biblical justice. To care for those who can't care for themselves. To love those and lift up those who need that. Now, it's possible in a room like this, we could differ on how that problem gets solved. I actually guarantee we may differ on how. But it does not change the fact that we must act justly and do justice inside of our world. That is what we are called to. Is the world ever going to be perfectly unjust? Not until Christ comes back. Okay? But until then, it's our job to allow his kingdom to reign on earth as it is in heaven. And to do our best to bring the kingdom of God and his values, the things that matter to his heart in our sphere of influence. Okay? Number one, act justly. Number two, you guessed it, love mercy. Love mercy. This is the attitude we must have. Other translations will say, love kindness. <laughs> How many of you, when you were a kid, you got spanked or you got in trouble a lot? Raise your hand, okay? I know, I know, I know <laughs> wow, that boy got spanked a ton. <laughs> now, I know sp- not everybody's for spanking, that's fine, but my house, we got spanked. Sorry, whatever, okay? Okay, in my home, I was the kid, like, you just have to look at me the wrong way, and, like, I'm, like, I feel bad, and, like, I just didn't get spanked all that much. My sister, on the other hand, like, that girl got spanked on the daily, okay? She was, she was very rebellious. She, did, she would stand there and say, go ahead and try and make me cry. Spank me. You know, like, that's just how she was. It's like, she wouldn't give in. So when she would see me do something wrong, she was like, oh, this is the time. So I don't even remember what I did. I was probably three years old, and, and my, my sister caught me doing something I shouldn't, and she's running around the house, get him, daddy, get him, spank him, daddy, spank him, right? Like, she, well, this was a rare opportunity, get him, you know? Here's what I think. We live in a culture that acts like that. We live in a vengeance culture get them. Go get them. Right? This cancel culture that we live in, get them. There's no grace. There's no mercy. Get them. Okay? And we value that. And unfortunately, what has broken my heart is watching in a culture that has increasingly had a vengeance attitude is watching that showing up in our churches. Watching us having the same attitude of vengeance of acting like they better get their stuff. What, what right do they have? Like the anger and the vengeance. Listen, we're going to be followers of Christ. We've got to love mercy. Love mercy. Not looking to who can we take out, looking where can we extend mercy. That's what people of Christ look like. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. And the concern that I have is even in the good stuff. Even in the good stuff, I've watched people pursue good justice issues, but do it with vengeance. Listen, just like I said, Martin Luther King, there was something about him that, that inspired me, was his willingness to go after the good thing, but to do it in a way that still had grace. And that is our call. It's followers, that we would do justice, absolutely, but we would love mercy. You remember the encounter when the... the uh, people brought a woman caught in adultery before Jesus. Remember that? 
There's this moment where the crowd is saying, vengeance, get her. Jesus said, all right, all right, cool. All right, who's without, stone, without sin? You can be the, the first to throw a stone. And one by one by one, they walked away. Why? Because they understood that they needed mercy too. And when we understand our brokenness and our desperate need of a savior, then it gives us the ability to extend that mercy to someone else. And it's not because we always want to, right? I don't want to extend mercy. I don't. There's plenty of times where I want vengeance. But God, make my heart more like yours. When I deserve, I deserve vengeance. You took it on yourself, God. You took the cross that I deserved. That's what it looks like to follow Christ. Not like the world. Not to do it like the, the winds of our culture say. No. We have to be those who pursue biblical justice in every area possible, but we don't forsake being those that look like Christ in the process. We must be both. We must pursue justice and love mercy, looking to extend the mercy of God because we've received it ourselves when we didn't deserve it. Act justly, to love mercy. Third one, to walk humbly with your God. That's a good word. To walk humbly with your God. Why? Because he modeled it. See, this is the beautiful part about our God. He doesn't call us to something he's not willing to do himself. He modeled. He doesn't say, hey, you people go be humble. He said, no, follow me. Walk with me. Do life the way I've called. Follow my kingdom principles, my kingdom vows. You do it my way. Don't do it your way. Do it my way. Just like me. Walk humbly with our God. You know what our world does not need? We don't need more smart people. We don't need more talented people. We don't need more creative people. We don't need more entrepreneurs. We don't even need more activists. We need more people to walk humbly with their God, to lay themselves down and to say, God, I die to me, and I'm going to live your way, God, not my way. That's what we need. Inside of the church, we desperately need this. Because if we are not careful, we forsake the only thing that can save us. You don't come before God with your strength. You don't come to God with your rightness. You don't come to God with all of your stuff. You come in humility with your brokenness. You get rid of the pride. You get rid of the arrogance. And you say, God, I need you. And the moment we forget to do that is a moment we're in serious trouble. But if you look around at our culture and you look around at our church culture, I would say this, that I don't think humility is one of the greatest defining factors of our, of our church culture. And I would ask you this question. If someone looked at your life, they looked at your coming and your goings, they looked at how you interact with people, they look at how you speak with people, they look how you interact online through social media, if someone watched your life, would they say, that's someone who walks humbly with their God? 
If the answer is, I'm not sure, then we need to take, do some work. We need to lay some things down again, right? See, that's the call. We can't get past this. There is no like, well, give me the deeper stuff, Greg. No, it doesn't get past this. Like, you don't get beyond this. Listen, humility isn't a moment in time. It's an attitude of your heart. And a lot of times we want to say, yeah, I came to Jesus. I had that point back there of humility, of acknowledging my sin. Okay, did you have that two minutes ago? Because you needed it then too. Like, we need that attitude to say, God, I'm not the answer. I'm not the solution. I'm not the stuff. God, I desperately need you. And as we walk in humility, it gives us the ability to actually look more like our Savior. And so I want to get to our big so what this morning. Every week we have a big so what. We say, so what? What's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else we talked about this morning, this is critical. We must be made in Jesus' image, not make Jesus in our own image. Good. I wrote it this week, so you must like it. Good. Thanks. We must be made in Jesus' image, not make Jesus in our own image. What do I mean by that? Is that even in our righteous causes, we want Jesus to look more like our version of the victor. Okay? We want, we want the Jesus that, that vanquishes the enemy, looks more like a like a superhero, swoops in and vanquish the enemy, you know, and stand firm on things, overpowering the darkness by asserting power. The, the Jesus that is the strong Jesus, the takeover Jesus, the sore Jesus, that's the Jesus that we want. All right? We do. Is our Jesus the victor? Absolutely. But how did he demonstrate his power? Did he ascend a throne and assert his dominance? No. He went to a cross and took nails in his hands and his feet and laid himself down. That's how he asserted his dominance. That's how he showed his power and his authority. His power doesn't look the same way ours does. It doesn't do things the way we want him to, right? We look around at our world. We want Jesus to look like our world. Come on, Jesus, where are you? Take over. Saying that's not what my kingdom looks like. Remember his disciples? He used to tick his disciples off. Because all the time they'd be like, hey, Jesus, is now the time? Is now we're going to take over? He's like, whoa, we don't do things that way. Remember when Jesus stood before Pilate? The guy who was going to determine whether or not he was going to the cross? What was Jesus' response? My kingdom is not of this world. The literal understanding of that is my kingdom is of a different essence. Like I don't do things the way this world does. I do things differently, all right? And so what is the call? The call is that we would model him, not try to make him look like our world, all right? That we would say, God, in any area of my life where I have tried to be like the world, even in the good stuff, I tried to pursue just causes, but I've done it in a way that's contrary to your word. God, would you forgive me? God, I lay myself down again. I want to be those who pursue justice, absolutely. But I want to be those who love mercy because we've received it when we didn't deserve it. And my prayer for us as a church and for the church at large, especially in this nation, is that there would be a heart of repentance 
But God, that you would break the pride in our hearts. Break us, Father, from the inside out. Would you break us that we would look more like Christ and less like ourselves. More like Christ and less like the world. God, would you break us? We desperately, desperately need you. So the challenge I want to give us this morning is very simple. It says, bring your heart before God. Would you bring your heart before God? Here's what we're good at. We are really good at bringing our requests before God. And God, here's what I need. Here's what I want you to do, God. When's the last time you brought your heart before God? Say, God, would you shine a light on me? Would you expose any wicked ways in me? God, you would, would you reveal it in me? Because I want to look more like you, and I know I'm not there, God, and sometimes I got blind spots. You know the horses, they got the blind spots here. And I'm walking around my life doing this kind of thing, and I don't even see the places where I'm broken, God. And so I'm going to come before you and say, God, would you make it evident to me? Take the blinders off that I can see myself as I really am. Lay myself down and say, God, I'm all yours again. The hope of this world is not a church that just stands strong and tries to dominate. The hope of this world is a church of repentance that lays ourselves and walks humbly before our God. That's the hope of the world. That we would say, God, we are yours. We will do what you want. We will, we will go where you want. We will speak where you want, God, but not of our own pride. It's out of your goodness. So I'm gonna invite you this morning. I want us to respond. Or actually, I created, made some space here this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand with me across the room. In a moment, we're going we're to have an opportunity just to worship together. Uh, we're going we're gonna to praise God together, and we're going to sing a song that, that challenges me. It's a song called Refiner, and this is what it says in Scripture. It says that God's the refiner. He's the one that, that burns things up. You know when they want to refine gold, what do they do? They put it through fire to get all the impurities out. And what we have to do is come before God and say, God, would you shine your fire in my heart? Would you light it up again? If there's any impurities, God, would you wash it away, God? I submit it to you. I give it to you. And I want to respond to you. I want to pray over us before we take a moment to respond. God, we thank you so much. God, that your invitation is always there to come back to you. For some, the areas may be areas of justice. For some, the area may be area of mercy. For some, it may be just an issue of pure humility. Whatever it is, God, we lay our hearts before you. We say, God, we are desperately in need. We are not the solution. We are not the answer. You are the hope. And so, God, we lay ourselves before you.